and welcome to the Love Your Library podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Hattie Dulac, where for this shorter episode, we invited debut novelist Eva Verdi into our virtual studio to chat about her new book, Lives Like Mine. Lives Like Mine is an honest exploration of the themes of family relationships, motherhood, race and identity, as it focuses on the life of Monica, who wonders whether her roles as wife, mother, daughter and woman are all there is. I was delighted to talk to Eva all about this insightful, thought-provoking and entertaining novel. The interview starts with her reading a short excerpt from the book. Chapter 1. Love, Honour, Obey and Conform. Way back in the day, on the bus stop outside my childhood church in Great Tipex Capitals were the words, Virtue is Valium. After Saturday school or Sunday mass, mum would tick me off for reading it out as we waited for the bus home. Funny what comes back. Outside a different church, in my grown-up different life, is how you find me now. Despite all I've been, this is what I became. Mother, wife, good, grateful, so grateful. Perhaps at last a daughter she might be proud of. Perhaps not though. All wholesome contemplation gets smothered by the fast-approaching pastel linens, complete with grabby hands, like those amusement machines on seafront piers. Penny. My mother-in-law. Only by law. At least you look hot, Dan says, sharing my emotions like we've learnt to share everything else. His soothing hand on my hip works. After the speeches, we're off. I promise. Dan's beautiful eyes are disarming, known to have me feeling like there's no earth and he's the centre of everything and all it means. It's unsettling, revealing too, how feebly teenage I can be, how romance very much still rules. You pair, that's proper love. Penny's kisses give way for the giggles. Love and good hair, Monica. As those grabby hands reach for my neat ballet bun, I laugh along too, with a mockney cockney twitter that makes for the oddest of feelings. I never did take to all that frizz. Virtue. It's Valium. Outside this different church, in my grown-up different life, those little white words from the bus stop stick. My sadly thinning hairline meant calling time on the relaxers. I'm now transitioning, in love with the very word of the process I'm slowly adapting to. At 39, I'm at last embracing my 3C curl pattern, trying to dismantle what went before this transitioning, my conditioning that natural hair was unruly, unsexy, primitive, comedic. My big black hair is a tiny rebellion. Yet today, the rebellion shrinks. Here, it's best to fit in, even if that means taming myself insipid, overlooking this early yet predictable banter, cloning the woman I am truly from, back at that bus stop. Mother, wife, good, grateful. It's a trick that's become like armoury, protecting my little brown self from this family of people still as alien to me as the day I married into them. So Eva, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Just to start us all off, why don't you tell me a little bit about the book? Sure. Okay. Lives Like Mine is my debut novel. It follows the story of Monica Peterson. She is almost 40. She's happily settled, nice husband, kids. The kids are at that age when they're not really starting to need her as much as they did. Her youngest has started school and she suddenly has time to think about what to do next and what to do with herself. And uh, 
she discovers really that she doesn't really know herself at all. She sort of buried herself through all these layers throughout her life. And we meet Monica at a point when she's really questioning all that she's become. Is this it now? And she's sort of drowning in these roles and this duty, which is sort of made worse by her bigoted in-laws who, I mean, she's had 10 years of sort of tolerating their intolerances and uh, it's really wearing very thin for her. She has a husband, Dan, who is perfect in all senses of the word, but just never knowingly is the witness and is a little bit, a little bit, rather a lot actually, sort of blind to what is going on and uh, never defends or supports his wife. And this has built real resentments. And then along comes Joe, this guy from the school gate, and he just ticks all her needy little boxes at this time when she really sort of needs distraction or all different manner of things the most and uh yes chaos ensues from there so it sort of just presses the button and um has a bit of a midlife rebellion really and starts to really address what she's become i love that i love that phrasing not a midlife crisis definitely a midlife rebellion which is <laughs> yes. so in keeping with her character i love that so much so the first passage is a really really good one to set up the whole book I think because it really touches on those themes in the book of sort of motherhood family relationships and most of all identity and also as the book continues it's sort of how does Monica navigate these spaces that seem to be set up to exclude her I think that's obviously such a interesting and important message what drew you to writing about these themes I think coming from a similar position to Monica. I mean, fortunately, I have a great husband who is not at all ignorant to, to the world we live in. It's it's a real relief to know that he's always had my back, but we have had situations uh, where things have been difficult and with you know something will happen or something will be said and you don't respond straight away. You're a little bit shocked by what's happened and, and you tend to sort of think afterwards, oh, I wish I'd have said this. I wish I'd have done that and acted differently and called somebody out and you sort of you bury it and it, it does build these resentments. So really I was I was trying to sort of tap into those those thoughts and feelings and sort of make sense of them in my own head as well. Yeah, I think that really comes across because you know a, a big big theme of the book is also racism prejudice you sort of the grabby hands on the ballet burn is the perfect initial example because it's a classic thing isn't it don't ever touch a black woman's hair don't ever touch like you know why would you touch anyone's hair at any point but it's it's that symbol of microaggressions that's right and they're also the things that you think do i are they are they really a microaggression it's also that there's a you know, Monica, she is an unreliable character as well. And the things you do have that question mark, is this racism? Is this just her being paranoid? You know, there is always that, those blurred lines. Yeah, it was it was tricky to, because you, you know, they are there, they're definitely there. The family are toxic, but it was important to keep that, that question mark going throughout, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think the backdrop is also really interesting that sets the environment up you know it's a sort of like post-Brexit semi-rural so it's very seems like it would be quite open but it's very claustrophobic it's a really like interned if that's a word <laughs> environment to exist in which I found so compelling I thought that really ramped up the tension I found it really authentic I thought it was a really sort of realistic representation because of that sort of questioning as well that it's not always black and white no, no, that that's it. And I think that that comes from being 
having having the viewpoint of being othered and that outsider's perspective, I found that really interesting to write about. Yeah, I can't deny that the referendum and that period of time had a real impact in what I was writing. This whole book started with a short story I'd done for my open university degree. It was a short story. And I had all the chemistry right. I knew what I wanted to write about, but I couldn't work out what would make this woman press this button and have this affair and go in this direction. But I thought that toxic environment that what she lives, just to, you know, be able to leave that and just live her life where all those ignorances didn't matter to her. She could just, you know, be herself and not have her skin colour as the first thought in her brain. Thought of such a, I think Joe is so much more than just a, fling I think it's just a way of her to leave all that behind and just completely be her in her own skin and and not worry about skin for once exactly it's that sort of I don't know if it's my interpretation but it feels like she's almost transposing new identities of herself or finding her own identities and kind of projecting them onto him as this kind of exciting new figure in her life and I think what we've spoken about in terms of presenting it in quite an authentic light It also led to some really brilliant laugh out loud moments. I really found myself sort of turning the pages and also cheering on for some of the things that Monica does when she has these rebellions. It's always really good to sort of be like, yeah, you call them out, you say that. It was just such a good thing. I think she's such a sparky character. How easy do you find it to write in that sort of authentic, you know, comedic, cynical way? Is is that something that comes really naturally to you? It took a long time to get there. I think that the moniker you read in the book has had quite a a journey. I'd gone from writing very academically. I wanted to make sure everything sounded right and read right. But the story was a bit lost in that. It it just wasn't enough. And a dear friend, she read it for, read a very early version of it for me. And she said, who are you writing this for? Are you you writing it as like an essay or are you writing it? And I thought, well, I'd quite like her to, you know, I pictured her as my reader. And from that, I sort of wrote more authentically. I sort of a really, I took away all sort of the learnings and focused more on sort of the story and, and how the sort of book I would want to read myself. And uh, as great Toni Morrison said, if you can't find a book, you know, that you, you, you have to write it yourself. And yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much what I did. And just the minute I sort of left behind how I should perhaps construct it properly it just came very naturally and I didn't worry about that and you know people have read it since and my close friends and they say it's it's just sounds like you so I don't know whether that's a good thing or not but you know it's it's, it's worked so and I'm, I'm glad it feels real and as you say authentic because that's more the most important thing that I wanted to get across was yeah yeah. well I think I mean I mentioned it earlier but I do think Monica is just this really brilliant character you mentioned earlier she's a bit of a flawed heroine did you enjoy writing a character like that with with these decisions to make and and with this sort of flawed judgment or did you find it really challenging no I really enjoyed it I liked having those aspects I can't be specific because I will give the story away, but there's certain things where we we hear her be so flippant with things at the start of the book. And then by the end, you're thinking, is that the reason behind that? You know, she's so she is a ball of conflict, really, within herself, within, you know, before you even get to the family stuff. She's at war internally all the time and uh yeah I mean I've got so many more gray hairs now from from writing like and I would sort the things that the parts where um I did have to get sort of deep and I did have to dig deep 
to start with, I sort of would just smooth over those with sort of a bit of humour. I really had to look inside and, you know, to call upon the, the, the racist instance and the things like that to really make it truthful and honest. But her as a character, this fact that she is so, you cannot really trust her. I loved writing that. It's something I hope to, to continue in whatever I write next. I, I like that sort of, because it's very human to be so dimensional. So yeah, yeah, I got a lot of pleasure from doing that. Well, I mean, it definitely comes across. I really enjoyed reading her. So this is your debut novel, although you've had other published works, essays and, and stuff like that. Did you find the writing process different for this? You mentioned that you had to change the voice that you were using when you were writing. And sort of what were the challenges associated with it? To be honest, I found writing the book, well, once I'd found my stride and the, and the voice, far easier than ever writing anything Actually, you know, the, the sort of the, the life writing and the memoir, I find quite hard to, to write because I'm, I'm still of the mindset. And I, I can understand why everyone would want to, you know, read the book, but to learn about me seems very peculiar to, you know, I'm so, well, why, why do you want to know, you know, anything? I'm just very, very ordinary. So it, that takes a lot to sort of put to the side and then, and then write. But yeah, I am definitely a fiction writer. No questions. Yeah. So does that mean that we can expect plenty more from you in the same light? Definitely. I'm pretty much, well, it's, it's fully formed in my head. To say it out loud would be utterly confusing, but, but I know what I'm doing for book two. Um, and then after that, I, I do have, I, I have a lot of ideas. So yes, hopefully, fingers crossed, the ideas and books will keep coming. So I was very pleased to see that there's a part of the book that takes place in a library and um, also the acknowledgements at the end of the book thank libraries as well. What kind of significance do libraries hold for you? Oh, huge significance. I certainly would not have been a writer without all those years in the library. And um, My mum would take me as a small kid and my mum is not a big reader. She's never been much of a reader, but she would do that for me and we'd go a lot, a couple of times a week, and I would be very repetitive with my choices. I'd always sort of have the same favourites that I'd take out again and again. But as I grew up, the library became a real sanctuary for me. I, we moved and I felt very isolated where we lived, but the library was sort of that constant comfort. And yeah, I just always, I'm always happiest really in a library and surra surrounded by books first and foremost. Yeah, I owe so much to the libraries. I really, really do. Well, that's always lovely to hear. And I'm sure that your uh, your books will be lining the shelves of our libraries in Hampshire. So excited to see that, to go into the library and see a, to see, to see a copy. That, was, that will be the ultimate dream come true for me. Since I was so small, this has been my absolute ambition. So for it to be a reality, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to this one hitting the shelves as well. I think it's going to be a popular one with our listeners and, and with our audience in Hampshire as well. So very much an exciting one to have on the podcast. So thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you so much for having me.